1: Radical Personal Finance, episode 29. On today's show, the iron law of wealth building. I guess I should say the iron formula of wealth building. The only three topics, the only three variables that you can adjust to ensure your long-term wealth. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast for today, Monday, July 28, 2014. I am your host, Joshua Sheets. Thrilled to be back with you. Feeling a little bit better. Not quite back at 100%, but uh, a little bit better. And I couldn't stand to stay away from you any longer. Figured I got to get you a show, got to get you a show. And so today, we're going to have a show on wealth building, my favorite... You know it really was uh, hard to be away i look I really look forward to recording these shows. I enjoy doing it and uh, you know. I just love doing it. And so being out and being sick last week to the point where, you know, a couple of days I could barely even speak. And usually I would roll over in bed. See, what happened was that I just I just got run down as far as the amount of time I was staying up too late, getting up too early. I got a lot of fun, exciting projects that I'm working on. And so when I should quit and go to bed, I just oh, just a little bit lo- longer, a little bit longer. And. You know, a couple days in a row of going to bed at 11, getting up at 6, going to bed at 2, getting up at 6, <laughs> going to bed at 12, getting up at 5, you know, going to bed at 1, getting up at 7. These don't work for me. And uh, I should – you would think that at this point in my life I would be smart enough to to say no and to stay – you know, to go to bed and force myself to do it. But I'm just trying to make progress on, on some projects that I've got going on and, and um, well – Anyway, I didn't do it. I should. I didn't do what I know. I didn't do what I should have done, which was listen to my wiser self and and go to bed. So today we are going to be. uh, uh, So we're back in the saddle. So uh, last week was pretty challenging. There were a few days when I wake up wake up in the morning and I try to say something and I I couldn't even like make my voice go. And then I had to go get some get a cup of tea. And after a little bit, I could get some sounds to to uh, to come out. But it's certainly sobering when hmm, when you recognize that uh, we're all none of us are invincible. You know, it's so easy to uh, I sold a lot of disability insurance over the years, and I'm convinced that I'm not invincible. But in the past, when I'm talking about disability insurance, I would never I'd never understand why people did not recognize that they weren't invincible. Uh, then now, you know, I think it's experiences like this that that help you to recognize that you are. You're not invincible, and you got to take time, as Stephen Covey would say, to sharpen the saw, uh, to go to bed early and, and get a full night's sleep and stay healthy and active because you can't help anybody if you're flat on your back in bed. Uh, you got to be up and, up and active to, uh, to be able to help anybody. So we're back at it today, and today we are going to be talking about my formula for wealth building, or as I grandiosely put it in the introduction, the iron formula of wealth building. <laughs> and I'm not sure if this is something that I made up or if this is something I stole from somewhere so long ago that I can't remember it. I really have never heard many people talk about it this way, but and I'm sure others have. There's nothing new under the sun. I don't expect to necessarily have an original idea, but I can't attribute it to anyone because I just have kind of figured it out for myself. Although, again, if uh, if I've if I've stolen this from you as an author or something, forgive me. But I've just. You know, I learned this formula by doing financial planning it for myself and for others. And it's very simple, and it's all based upon the two financial statements that we've talked about. If you haven't listened to episode 22 and episode 26, episode 22 was an introduction to the balance sheet, and then episode 26 was an introduction to the cash flow statement, how to create them for yourselves. I would encourage you stop and go listen to those shows. And before you listen to this show, create those two financial statements for yourself. So go to radicalpersonalfinance slash twenty two or slash twenty six and you'll be able to hear those shows and create your own personal financial statements and then look at them and think about them as we're walking through today's show because in reality i'm going to do nothing more than just simply walk through you know how these interact with each other but show how this leads to wealth how this leads to wealth so when you understand the workings between financial statements, whether that's business financial statements or personal financial statements, then it kind of solves all the all of the things you're trying to solve. And so here's what I would say as uh, – here's how I would prove that my formula for wealth works. First of all, how are we defining wealth? In this sense, we're talking about financial wealth. So financial wealth is going to be something that's going to show up on the balance sheet. Uh, The balance sheet is made up of assets and liabilities, and the financial assets are listed with a financial number. So if you tell someone, I want to be wealthy, what that means is, if you're talking about financial wealth, what that means is we're going to increase the net worth that's listed on the balance sheet. Now, obviously, there are other kinds of wealth. I would consider someone who has, uh, you know, I'm I'm the youngest of seven kids. I would consider my father to be extremely wealthy Uh, having the love of of seven children, even if he didn't have a dollar saved. But uh, those, and I would encourage you to always consider those things, the the financial and the non-financial aspects of life and of wealth. But in today's show, we're going to focus mainly on the financial wealth. So being financially wealthy is determined, is defined as having a high net worth. That's it. Now, high is a relative term, so we could insert, you know, a thousand dollar net worth, a hundred thousand dollar net worth, a million dollar net worth, or a billion dollar net worth. You can determine the scale that we're going to use. To the uh, to the person who is um, just getting started in life. And you know, I remember the first time I had $1,000 saved. That was pretty exciting. I remember the first time I had $10,000 saved. That was pretty exciting. I mean, every stage along life is, is exciting. And then to some one person, they're first excited when they can save their first million dollars. But how does, how does the money get to be listed on the net worth statement? How does it actually show up at the bottom? Well it gets there off the cash flow statement. So the net worth statement is a, is a snapshot in time and the cash flow is over a, the statement is listed as over an accounting period. So you'll look if you look at your net worth statement, you have a date. So let's say today is July 28, 2014, you can do a snapshot. my net worth as of 301 p.m as I record this show on July 28 2014 is X dollars. Now, at 302, that may change if some of my net worth is is invested in, in volatile assets such as um, publicly traded stocks that I can go and I can check to see what their valuation is. And maybe at 303 or 315, that may be slightly different than it was when I originally made the uh, the balance sheet. But it's good enough for now. But the cash flow statement is over a period of time. So the cash flow statement is showing over what the accounting wonks would say, an accounting period. Usually this would be uh, either a year or a quarter. Those would be the two most – in business would be the quarterly. And for us, maybe we're talking about the annually or the monthly, depending on which one we're looking at. So I don't care which one you use. I usually prefer annual numbers. But the way the money gets onto the balance sheet is it has to show up at the bottom of the cash flow statement as surplus. So remember, the cash flow statement is inflows minus outflows, equals a surplus or a deficit. That's it. So in order for the money to show up on the net worth statement, we've got to create a surplus from the cash flow statement. And if we're going to build wealth from one accounting period to the next, so let's say one, one month to the next, then we've got to make sure that there is a surplus at the bottom of the cash flow statement. So what this leads you to is understanding that inflows minus outflows equals surplus. Surplus leads to wealth. Then that Uncovers really the only three levers that we can that we can uh, adjust the only three levers that we can press on to affect the the ultimate wealth that we that we wind up with, and those levers are: we can adjust the inflows, we can adjust the outflows, and we can adjust what happens with the surplus. Now, let me talk about deficits for a moment. This is no different if we're talking about uh, deficits. So let's say that we do run the cash flow statement. We have inflows minus outflows equals a deficit. Well, we can only adjust the inflows or the outflows to reduce the deficit. And that's going to be step one. But if we, if, we have, if we have a deficit, we have a problem. But we need to look at it and say, is this a temporary deficit or is this a structural deficit, and what is and i 'm sorry for using all the big words, but this is i 'm trying to use the uh, or use the accounting words i 'm trying to use the accounting words to kind of disconnect and decouple this from this financial conversation from all the normal emotionally charged words uh, that uh, that exist around money and people 's finances you know the idea of we 're going to go going to go on a budget it makes it makes it a little sound a little bit less difficult to say. Uh, we're just going to reduce the outflows, then it doesn't say we're going to go on a budget. So I try to use the accounting words or the more precise words sometimes just to drive the point home. And then if you want to go and use the emotional, emotional words, that's fine. But if there's a deficit, we've got a problem. So we look and say, is this a temporary deficit or is this a structural deficit? So example, you are a college student going to college. You're not working for income You are studying in your classes, and you are borrowing money on student loans to pay for school. Do you have a temporary deficit, or do you have a a structural deficit? Um, You have a temporary deficit. You're, You're a college student. So we know that that's going to change. We know that something's going to change. This would be what an entrepreneur would face. When an entrepreneur is starting a business, and they're beginning their business, they know they're probably going to be operating in a deficit for a period of time. And deficit is not necessarily a problem as long as it's a temporary uh, temporary deficit, whether this is applied to individuals or to nations. You know, it's not necessarily a problem that a country has a deficit if it's a, if it's a temporary deficit. The United States of America has had deficits in the past and has deficits currently, but then the problem is only if they're structural deficits. If they're just temporary, hey, for this period of time, our expenses have exceeded our income, then that can be fine. Again, I'm in the middle of starting some new businesses. My expenses are exceeding my income. This is not necessarily a problem unless that is going to be a long-term, a long-term thing. But if it's a structural deficit, you know, my expenses are consistently exceeding our income and there's not a clear event on the horizon at which those times are going to change, now we have a problem. We have a, we have a more significant problem. And so, if it's a deficit, what do we have to cha- change? Well, we can adjust the inflows, or we can adjust the outflows, and probably we're going to do both. So that's probably going to be the most effective plan: is to adjust the inflows and adjust the outflows. What is it that um, uh, what is what is Dave Ramsey's plan? Okay, work extra jobs, adjust the inflows, cut all your expenses, adjust the outflows. So all we're doing is adjusting inflows and outflows, and we have a deficit. So let's, let's set aside the, the issue of deficits because I'm going to cover that in its own show as far as what to do. But uh, one more thing on deficits. Even when we cut deficits and even the way that we cut deficits is all going to come back to this inflows, outflows, and surplus. A rational approach to looking at deficits should say, well, guess what? I'm going to refinance my debt to get it at a lower rate. Well, that cuts my outflows because it reduces my interest expense. I'm going to choose to pay off my debt because by paying off my debt I'm going to get a greater return on my surplus because there has to be surplus to pay off debt. I'm going to get a greater return on my surplus than I would get by, by paying off debt. I'm going to get a greater return on my surplus by paying off debt than I would if I invested it elsewhere. We'll talk through that as far as the financial non-financial considerations of that. but uh, ultimately it all just comes down to inflows and outflows. So let's assume that there's a surplus now and let's ignore def- debts and deficits and all that stuff for another day. So the three levers that we have to uh, that we have to push are inflows, outflows, and the investment of surplus. So now I'm going to add another kind of sub lever. We can adjust the size and the characteristics of our inflows. We can adjust the size and the characteristics of our outflows or we can adjust the size measured in rate of return and the characteristics of our investments. And into those three kind of adjustments, I can fit every single uh, financial planning article, book, essay, anything that, you know, suggestion, advice, anything that people anything that people have to say. Because a lot of it's just differentiation. If you understand that wealth is only going to come by intelligent investment and growth of surplus, then you see through the smoke and mirrors of one person saying, cut expenses, cut expenses, cut expenses, inflows don't matter. And the other person saying, it's stupid for you to worry about cutting expenses. Make sure you just focus on your inflows and earn more money. No, mathematically, they both matter. And the person who's just saying cut expenses would do better if they focused on cutting expenses and increasing inflows. And the person who says expenses don't matter, no, mathematically, they do but you would do better if you increased your inflows and you decreased your outflows, decreased your expenses. So, I'm not mad about all this the stuff. I just I just laugh when I see people make these statements. Now, what they're usually focusing on is the what they're usually focusing on is going to be the uh um, the behavioral characteristics. So, for example, maybe somebody is much more motivated to say, it's important to me that I drink my Starbucks coffee every day, and in exchange for that, I'm going to go ahead and work more at another job, uh, but uh, work more at another job. That may be fine for some person, but for another person, say, I don't want to work more at another job, and I'll just cut my Starbucks coffee. Neither of them is wrong. They're both right. The only three things that we can adjust, the size and characteristics of inflows, the size and characteristics of outflows, and the size or rate of return and characteristics of the investment of the surplus. So everything falls into that. So when I think about financial planning or someone asks a question, or uh, someone, uh, someone asks a question, I immediately think, where am I on this formula inflows outflows uh or surplus what am I dealing with inflows outflows or surplus inflows outflows outflows or surplus and this just helps me to kind of isolate what we're focusing on. you can't do it all at one time i don't think um, but you can't really do it all at one time, but you can um, you can uh, you know you can focus on these things concurrently you can do one. And then you can switch your attention to the other. You can The human brain can do a lot of planning in these concurrently, even if we can't necessarily do them both at the same time. I want to introduce two other concepts, uh, or, or not introduce, but then bring in two other concepts that we can then apply to this formula and then walk through a number of examples of how we can use this. Now that we've created the personal financial statements, how we can use this way of thinking about this formula to help us to guide our own financial plan. And so if I were doing this for a client, I could do, I could use this formula with a client or this is one where where doing it for yourself is really powerful. So the other two things are compounding and leverage. So the first thing is compounding. Everyone knows about, well, I hope you know about the, the importance of compounding. I shouldn't assume uh, I should do a show on compounding and just to show why it's so valuable. But compounding is 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 as iron as as Albert Einstein was didn't he say there's a quote at Einstein quote says compounding is the eighth wonder of the universe something like that, but the idea of compounding is very simple and I prefer to use non financial examples. But um, the focus of compounding is if you plant one grain of corn in the in the in the ground, then that grain of corn will grow, uh, assuming that 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 seed is fertile that grain of corn will grow into a corn stalk, which will produce one head of corn, or one ear of corn, which will have many more kernels than the one that you put in the ground. So, I mean, that's a powerful example. If you do that each year, if you do that in the first year, you have one kernel of corn, you get an ear of corn. You shell that corn, now you have many hundreds of, of kernels of corn. You plant those many hundreds, now you probably have many many hundreds of thousands of kernels that result. That's how compound interest works. Compounding works in every area of life. So uh, we want to look at that formula and we want to say, where can we apply compounding? So most people think of applying compounding to the investment of the surplus of their wealth. So they say, well, if I'm going to invest the money, I'm going to invest the money in stocks and it's going to grow over time. Yes, it is. But where else can we apply compounding? Can we apply compounding in our inflows? So can we apply compounding to, our, uh, to our, the way that we earn a living and to the salary that we earn, uh, to the amount of money that, we ex- that the, the marketplace rewards us with? Can we apply the, the idea of compounding to that, and can we compound that at a faster rate uh, otherwise? And I'll come back to that in a moment and, and review that in depth. The second thing uh, uh, of the concept is leverage. So leverage can work for us or leverage can work against us. So, And compounding can work for us or compounding can work against us. If we're deeply in credit, if we're deeply in credit card debt and we have a substantial credit card balances that we're, on which we're paying you know, relatively high interest rates, then we have leverage working against us because we're in debt and that leverage is compounding against us where the interest on those, on those credit cards are compounding as time goes on. Uh, but we can also apply leverage to other areas of life we can apply leverage to our inflows apply leverage to our outflows and apply leverage to the growth of our investments of our surplus uh, and we can do this in both financial and non-financial ways and then we can get compounding working on our we- on our side so if you understand these flows remember there's no net worth that's going to there's no net worth that's going to uh, going to grow uh, without having an excess a surplus coming from the cash flow statement so we got to grow the balance sheet based upon the cash flow statement so look at some examples here Uh, and i want to use a couple of examples that most people have maybe thought of and then give some more uh, out of the box examples that you may not have thought of why is it that many people recommend going to college you read stories, and many people are recommended to go to college because going to college increases the your lifetime earnings. If you read the charts, the charts are all crystal clear that the total amount of lifetime earnings on average across the population is based, is is has a direct correlation to the level of education. So a high school dropout has the lowest lifetime earnings, a, a high school graduate has the next amount of, of lifetime earnings, a bachelor's degree uh certificate for university has the next highest then a master's and then then the uh a PhD. So the charts are very clear. And so the idea most people are are you know doing this are doing this uh maybe subconsciously, but they're applying this formula and the way that these things work, they're applying these formulas to their financial planning, you know, suggestion. And they're saying you should, in the beginning of your career, assuming that college is going to have an impact on your income, with that with that assumption, uh, you should, in the beginning of your career, you should run a deficit if you need to. So you're, where you're, you're going to run a deficit in your budget where your outflows are higher than your inflows in order to grow your salary higher. And then you're going to have the advantage of that salary will be growing and compounding throughout time, uh, throughout your lifetime. So you're going to apply financial leverage through the use of a student loan and you're going to do that so that you can raise the amount of your inflows. And then by raising the amount of your inflows so substantially, you're going to wind up to be wealthier over time. So by converting it into the formula, you can understand where the problems come in. So problem number one comes in, if what if the deficit is too high? And so what if the leverage is too high and it doesn't result in higher earnings? This is a problem many college students and college graduates have faced. I borrowed a bunch of money, I have a hundred thousand dollars, and I now have a career that's not resulting in higher inflows and because my career is not resulting in higher inflows, then I don't have sufficient inflows to cover the the amount of the debt, or if I do have a sufficient inflows to service the debt, I don't have any surplus on top of it, and so I'm constantly left right scraping bottom and This is an unpleasant place to be when it comes to financial uh, to financial planning. So, uh, so you can see what you need to make sure of if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna use leverage, financial leverage, to go to college, uh, the, and you're gonna borrow money, and you're gonna take on that deficit. You need to make sure that you're gonna do that in a way that is going to actually result in higher inflows. So uh, people are intuitively using this formula, uh, are intuitively using this formula when they're making the college decision. Now, why do we pay off consumer debt? Well, we pay off consumer debt to free up cash flow and save on interest expense. So, by paying off consumer debt, we free the cash flows. So we lower the outflows, and then both—I am um, uh, not sure what the word would be—both nominally and, and across the board, both like in the aggregate, and then both on, both on the specific because we lower the interest expense, and also across the board because we lower that cash flow expense, and we have our freedom of freedom of cash flow coming back back with us. So uh, so. I mean, that's it. That's the, that's the whole point of, of paying off consumer debt is because as long as we have the consumer debt, we have assets that are going down in value, so that's not working. So we need to build a surplus up, and we need to increase the assets that are going up in value. And the only way we can do that is if we can generate a higher surplus. We pay off the consumer debt to generate surplus in our budget to build wealth. So I hope this is not too repetitive, but I want to give, give some more examples because with these concepts of inflows and outflows and rate of return and then compounding and leverage with these tools, I think you can do some. You can build some amazing, uh, amazing um, futures. We can build amazing futures for people. Now, you can't escape math. Like, the math still works. It works whether you want to admit it or not. Acknowledging it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter whether you acknowledge it. It's still gonna be, the math is still gonna be there functioning. So it's better to not fight it and just understand it and then focusing on optimizing. So if you're looking at your personal cash flow statement and your personal balance sheet, what you're going to do is apply the system of thinking, and you can optimize each and every part of the equation. So let's start start on the cash flow statement. You can optimize your inflows. Now remember, I added two variables. You can optimize the size and the characteristics of your inflows. So first of all, you can optimize the size. Most people, I um, I did a show in the past, I think it was called You're 100% Responsible for Your Income, which is kind of funny. It seems to be one of the more popular shows uh, of the ones that I recorded uh, a year ago. And it was one of those that I just sat down and just dashed off in a day. And I'm kind of embarrassed of its popularity because I just sat it down and just did it off the top of my head. But that that was one of the most listened to episodes of the, of the show. Uh, but in that... I believe it was in that episode. I talked about the importance of increasing your income, of compounding your income, and I talked about uh, Brian Tracy's thousand percent formula. And the, the fundamental idea behind the thousand percent formula is that if you'll focus on compounding the gro- on gro- growing your income at a compounding rate, you can do some amazingly amazing things with your wages. And so let, let me get, let me run some numbers here. This give you an example. So what I'll do is um, you're going to just use a financial calculator. And which, by the way, if you're not familiar with using one, get good at one because you can answer all these questions like like this yourself in about, you know, 10 seconds. So let's just let's just show how compounding works with income. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply an annual compounding rate to a level of income. So let's start. Let's say that we have a 25 year old, um, a 25 year old just starting their life. And let's say that uh, just coming out of college, and I'm gonna actually I'm gonna play with some of these scenarios. So we have a 25 year old just coming out of college, and this 25 year old takes an entry level job making, uh, let's just say 30, uh, 40 thousand dollars a year. At least 40 because it's easier for me to remember as my number. So we're gonna put in 40 thousand dollars as our uh, starting value, and let's uh, let's compound this over 40 years. So we're gonna put a 40 year time period in. We're not gonna put any payments in, and we're gonna let's just use a 3 percent annual compounding rate. If you'll start at $40,000 and you'll compound your, your your income over at 3%, then at the, at 65 when you, you know, retire, if, just stick with this scenario, when you retire, you would be earning $130,481 per year. And that 3% that would be about an inflation rate. Now, if you can bump that up to a 4%, then look at the difference. Now you're earning $192,000 that final year. So that's an extra $60,000. But remember, that's in one year. So that was an extra $60,000 at 65. It was probably an extra. I could, make, I could go and make the chart, but I'm not going to do it. But it was probably an extra $59,000 at 64, and an extra $57,000 at 63, and an extra, you know, you get my point. That's an extra hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, let's say that you could compound your income at something like 7%. Well, now it's 65 just the difference between actually that one that one's too scary let's go back to six, let's go back to 6% so if you could double that compounding rate and you could go from earning 3% per year to earning 6% per year in, uh, increases you would go from earning the $135,000 a year at 65 so we're growing from 40 to 130 or 35 in the uh, in the first example 3% you would grow from earning four hundred forty thousand $40,000 a year to earning $411,000 at age 65, each year. So now, at age 65, you got an extra $250,000. And at 64, you had an extra $230,000. And at 63, you had an extra $220,000. And at 62, you had an extra $210,000, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're really looking for the most powerful thing that you can compound, forget about the investments. Focus on the income. Because just the growth from 3% to 6%, um, growth from 3% to 6%, that, w- that is an incredible difference between 130000 four and $411,000. Now, could you, do, could you do 6%? I think anybody could do 6% if they want to do. I think that, remember, um, with Brian Tracy's formula, which to me makes all the sense in the world, you're going to be increasing your income at 26% annually. And what would that mean? Let's just do for, I wonder if this will break the calculator. If I put in 26% annually, then that means that you're earning $413 million a year at age 65. I say that's not possible, right? Okay, but are there not people who have done that? There are people who are earning $413 million a year. Now, maybe the formula does break down. I think that is kind of a a dramatic example. But 10% per year? Now we're at $1.8 million a year. Look at the difference of no matter where you start, if starting at 25, no matter where you start, just earning $40,000 just by focusing on compounding your income, compounding your inflows. So what do you need to do? I think you probably need to enhance your skills because we're paid exactly what we're worth in the marketplace. On a financial basis, the income that you earn right now is exactly the appropriate income to what you should be earning based upon the skills that you were bringing to the marketplace. So the only way to change that income is to increase your skills and to enhance the value. And then to find somebody, find the marketplace in the marketplace, whether that's a new employer or whether that's the customers that value what you've created, to find somebody who values that so that you can command a higher, a higher wage to earn higher inflows. So I would say it means increasing your skills and whether that's simple things like reading books in your field, attending conferences in your field, reading your industry magazines so you understand what's going on in your field, listening to the podcasts in your field, learning how to speak in public, and speaking at the industry conferences in your field, And, and whether that means the uh, those things, whether it's field knowledge, whether that means enhancing your your personal skills, such as increasing your emotional intelligence, uh, increasing your communication skills, uh, learning how to inspire people, learning how to lead people, learning how to help other people be more effective, uh, whether that means uh, changing industries, whether that means changing employers, you see these stories from time to time. That uh, you see these stories from time to time that come across, and they say. Uh, You know how much more somebody makes by transitioning from one employer to the next. You know, if you want a thirty percent raise, it's probably easier to find a a different employer and then negotiate a thirty percent raise with that different employer than it is to get your current employer to give you a thirty percent raise in a year if they're accustomed to giving you three percent raises. So uh, this is this is how we affect the size of inflows. Just just one idea of many. Now you could also address the characteristics of inflows. So characteristics of inflows may be the characteristics of your job. Uh, do you work a job that's agreeable to you? Are you working in a field that's agreeable to you? Are you working in an industry that you care about, that you like? Is there a need to change to another industry? Do you work in an industry that you don't like? That well, If you, don't, if you work in an industry that you don't like, you might as well go work in another industry that you don't like and then go and, and get paid more for it or can you switch from the industry that you like or excuse me that you don 't like to an industry that you like even if you need to have a pay cut that 's fine it 's your decision there 's nothing wrong with with reducing the number there 's nothing wrong with it, but understand it because you're probably if you 're working in an industry that you're you're more interested in it 's probably going to be easier for you to compound that number than it would be if you were um, it, than it would be if you were uh, st- working in an industry that you didn't that you didn't care for. And leverage, how can you apply leverage to your income formula? Well, maybe the leverage that you could apply was the financial leverage to uh, borrow money on student loans so that instead of making $40,000 out of school, you made $80,000. So let's reset this as $80,000, and now let's run our 3% inflation rate, our 3% growth of income. Well, if you start at $80,000, I did something wrong. Okay, there we go. So if you start at $80,000 and you can grow your your wealth at you can grow your income at 3%. Now, by starting at $80,000, now that final year you're earning $260,000. So remember we're measuring this against our $40,000 base mark and this would make sense because we're intuitively we have intuitively doubled the salary. So what we've done is we've applied, you know, some sort of financial leverage maybe to build uh, to get a degree in a field that is uh, financially rewarding. We've applied financial leverage, and we've doubled our income every year going forward. That's why the, the, the college uh, financial numbers are so difficult to escape, uh, is that you know if you can double from $40,000 to $80,000, that's a doubling every single year. So even if you had to borrow $100,000, you know just do this math in your head. If you had to borrow $100,000 for a college degree, but you came out making 80 instead of 40. And even though my first example, I imagined that you did have a degree, imagine now that you don't. And imagine that the 40 was for the non college graduate. Well, the difference in earning power uh, would be $40,000 per year. So 40, 80, 120, take out some taxes. Let's say three years you've broken even on your investment in that degree. And then every year from then on, you now can command a higher salary. Uh, if, you've, if you If you learn something in school and and you can deliver on that so that may be one thing you may be able to apply some sort of financial leverage through the form of a loan you may be able to apply some other kind of synthetic leverage uh, so for example, could you work in an industry or in a field where you could apply some kind of synthetic equity or other leverage to 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 the field so maybe you don't have the money here to um, you would really love to make your business where you would really love to earn your money and build your business based upon managing uh, rental, rental units that you operate for yourself. But the reality is you don't have any money to pay for those rental units. Well, can you go out and find some other people who already have rental units and hire yourself on as a property manager? And then now you're leveraging their $100,000 investment, and you're just taking a 10% cut of the rents. So this would be a good way to, to apply leverage to your inflows. So consider that. Consider if changing the size, how can you change the size and the characteristic of your inflows? What are your personal likes? Are you working in a field that's best suited for your skills? Optimize both of those factors and optimize the inflows. Now, the ultimate optimization might be to get to the point where your investment inflows are higher than your salary inflows. I think this is really the ultimate optimization. This is what financial independence truly is, is when the dividends and increases from the companies that you own are higher than your outflows, well, now you are financially independent. And that, what a beautiful place to be in. So that now we're addressing the size and the, and the characteristic of our inflows. So if you have that as a set target, that my goal is to build my assets to the point where my investment inflows are higher than my personal outflows, if you have that as a goal, you'll reach it. Most people don't have that a goal as a goal. They've never considered that it's even possible, because they never even consider that there's anything to do other than work as a salary. So move on to outflows. Uh, optimize the outflows. So here again, you can adjust the size and the characteristic of the outflows. So the size, are there any outflows you could easily cut? Uh, could you just simply say, I don't want to spend that money anymore. I'm not gaining value from that. Uh, I'm not gaining value from... I don't know what to pick on. Uh, (laughs) I'm just not gaining value from this category of expenses. I'm going to remove it from my life. Uh, Now, then again, could you say, well, you know, I'd I'd like to go ahead and spend money in this category, but could I optimize it in some way? Uh, Instead of spending money on uh, rent to... A non-family member, could I rent from a family member? So at least then I'm benefiting a family member in this transaction. Instead of paying for food that is raised in a way that I don't think is appropriate, can I buy food from sources that I do want to support? Can I allocate my my outflows in a way that support my values? Uh, So... Can you optimize the size of the outflows? And this is where uh, skills planning comes in. That's what Jacob talks about a lot about in his early retirement extreme book. Can you adjust and bring in the, the skill advantage to reduce the amount of outflows that are necessary? So whether this is something as simple as uh, clipping coupons for your favorite breakfast cereal to as complex as uh, a comprehensive uh, income tax plan to shelter the majority of your money from income taxes. All of this is about optimizing outflows. And you have to optimize outflows in order to build wealth. Uh, you have to optimize them. You have to have lower outflows than inflows in order to build a surplus. Not going to be possible for you to get rich uh, and build real wealth if that's not the case. And, but your plan is going to be your plan. So don't buy this nonsense that some people say, ah, don't worry about expenses. Expenses don't matter. Expenses matter. And they matter a lot at the beginning. Uh, They matter a ton at the beginning. I'm planning a show. It may be this week. It may not be. But I'm planning a show on the concept of, um, you know, new cars, used cars, all uh, kind of want to destroy this myth about the new car versus the used car for wealth building but one of the key things that you got that's going to be a component of that show is to understand to understand when this matters if you're at the beginning of your career and you buy a thirty thousand dollar car that depreciates in value by fifteen percent that is a huge each year that is a huge number that's four thousand five hundred dollars of depreciation this year That's an expense. Excuse me. It's a massive expense that is very difficult for a small budget to 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 to, um, recover from. Now, on the other hand, if you're seventy years old and you've got a multi-million dollar, uh, uh, you know, income, does forty-five hundred dollars of depreciation matter that much? It really doesn't. So the key is to understand how big are these numbers in a relative fashion to your specific. Uh, to your specific cash flow statement, to your specific outflows, uh, and then can you apply? Can you re, can you uh, apply uh, the ideas of leveraging leverage and compounding? Can you apply the ideas to any of the outflows? So, uh, for example, uh, compounding. Can you compound? Uh, can you lower the outflows by doing a better tax planning? By doing t- better tax planning, and because of the fact, for example, investing in an IRA. Let's say that. Uh, you are want to invest $5,000 through an IRA. Well, you can leverage this by... Let me stop, sorry. Let's say that you want to invest $5,000. You can leverage this by leveraging through an IRA. So then let's say that at your tax rate, maybe you have to earn $6,500 to invest, the, to, to be able to pay taxes and then invest in a taxable account with the $5,000. Well, good way to apply, le- apply leveraging here would be to go ahead and put the money into an IRA. And then you can gain on the you can gain as it goes up. And what you can get, my example breaks down because I'm combining two concepts. And I hope it makes sense. I recognize it is not mathematically perfect. But you can get what in essence, you get to experience by leveraging the tax savings, you get to compound not only your original investment, but also the savings on the taxes and you get to compound what you would have had to pay you know otherwise, so you get to compound not only your original investment, but an example I shouldn't have used five thousand dollars I should you say three thousand dollars and you got to invest forty five hundred so now you can invest on the tax savings and your original principal, and that can compound over time and that's a tremendous leverage point that you can that you can look for and uh, and this can be applied in every in every area. Can you leverage your good relationships with your neighbors to share a Wi-Fi signal between each other so that one of you doesn't have to pay for the full thing when you've got a perfectly good signal coming in right across the street? Can you leverage your county library system so that you spend less money at the bookstore? Can you leverage, uh, I mean, there's a, b- a variety of things, and everything is going to come down to uh, adjusting the size of the outflows and then optimizing those outflows and then finally we have a uh, the, get to the surplus and we get to the point of saying well how can I affect the, the rate of return the size of the surplus uh, excuse me the rate of return that I get which is the size that it will grow at and I'm trying to keep stay consistent with my size and characteristics but this uh, this one is different uh, so how can I adjust the rate of return that I'm earning on the surplus And how can I adjust the characteristics of my investments? So if we think of it in that way, then we're constantly going to be applying our lens to say, well, I I have surplus. What's going to be the best use of this surplus at this point in time? And so the best use of this surplus at this point in time may be at one point in time going to college and paying for the college tuition fees so that I can increase my income if that's the reason that I'm going to college. At another time, it may be, you know, I went shopping, and my wife and I eat uh, scrambled eggs and sausage every morning for breakfast, and the sausage was on sale, and it's, you know, I bought eight, I think about bought eight uh, packages of sausage, uh, because I don't know when the next sale comes around, and I figure it comes around at least every couple months, and we probably eat a package a week, so at least then I got a couple months worth of sausage in the refrigerator. So it may be something as simple as saying, I'm going to, make sure that i spend my surplus on the things that i'm going to use anyway and get them when they're at a a leading at a price leading uh, a a discount when they're at a discount and so this is one of the major areas if you study how the the uh, grocery how to save on groceries this would be one of the major things that you can do buy on sale well you have to have cash to be able to buy on sale so It may be every bit as appropriate for me to say I'm going to use my surplus and I'm going to do that and and stock up on food when it's cheap. Uh, Or I'm going to use my surplus and I'm going to buy stock when they're cheap. Or I'm going to use my surplus to do insulation in my attic, to install energy-saving screens on my windows, to lower my air conditioning bill or whatever you guys do up north where it's cold. I don't know what you do. Uh, (laughs) Maybe buy a wood stove or put in better windows to have solar gain. I don't know what you guys do up there. Uh, So whatever it is, I uh, I can apply this same thinking as saying, how can I optimize the surplus? How can I optimize the rate of return that I'm earning on the surplus? Now, notice how the rate of return that I'm earning on the surplus is going to come back over and affect my inflows. So let's say that my decision is, you know, Joshua, you say that, you know, since the history of of well-run equities markets, they've generally returned 10%, but you know what, that's not good enough for me. How can I do better? Well, maybe you have a business idea. So a business idea, a good business idea, may easily make far more than 10%. And so this would be where I could, uh, you know, if I ran my calculations, just for fun, I will here. Let's say I had $40,000. This is my uh, earning income. And let's say I had a goal. uh, So let's put this in as $40,000 present value, no payments, 3% growth over 40 years. Okay, so 3% growth over 40 years comes out to be uh, $130,000 of income. So let's say you said, well, you know, 10%, I want to compound that at more where can i do that probably in your own business so the right investment in your own business where you can apply leveraging and compounding and unique skill and knowledge and if the business is successful could increase your income you know at a massive percentage rate maybe it could be 10000%. that's the way that you go from the $40,000 incomes to the $4 million incomes it's in your own business you don't get that you know working in middle management you don't make 4 million bucks working in middle management at a medium sized company you get that as by being the CEO, you know becoming the ceo of a large publicly traded company or you get it by starting a local you know metal scrap dealer or a local plumbing company that you grow to be um, you know a bunch of trucks so i, I don't want to keep i don't want to repeat anything that i've said and I, so i think this is about all i've got on, on this topic but i guess i just want to point out to me the the cash flow statement and the balance sheet are beautiful because they illustrate everything that i can do and for you they will illustrate everything that you can do. And you know, somehow maybe I should figure out a way to sell this a little bit better. But it's like you don't need to listen to my show every day if all you would do is create a cash flow statement and a balance sheet and look at it and say, "How can I optimize the size and the characteristic of these inflows, outflows and the rate of return that I'm earning on my surplus?" That's it. That's the only those are the only 3 maybe 6 levers that you have to do, but that's what ultimately everything's going to come from. Now, are there other financial planning things? Yes. Well, how does insurance play in, play into, into it? Well, insurance is protecting at my inflows or is protecting my outflows. Uh, so if I'm, you know, Sam, I mentioned dis- disability insurance. So if I'm buying disability insurance, I'm buying disability insurance so that if my inflows are interrupted due to disability, that I can replace those inflows from the insurance policy. If I'm buying property and casualty insurance, a, a fire policy on my house. I'm protecting myself so that if my uh, my house is disrupted, I'm protecting my budget from the need to come up with an extra $200,000 to rebuild my house as an outflow. So th- it all works in kind of on this, on this calculation and on this formula. I find this to be useful. I hope that you also find it to be useful. To me, it kind of dispels a lot of the different differentiation that everyone's trying to constantly say look I'm different you know and I'm just like you're not different you're focusing on inflows you're ah you're focusing on outflows I got it ah you're working on an investment trick here ah okay I see this and so there's a dramatic there are dramatic gains that could be made by seeing these things comprehensively and my wish is that we all started to view everything we do in a comprehensive manner and we and that we all were able to think these these things through and help one another by thinking comprehensively I also just want to free you from the idea that this stuff is set in stone for you. It's not. You can choose. You can choose to change. You can choose to adjust. You can choose to affect any of these variables that you want to affect. Uh, I had an idea earlier, and I think I've got a moment to do it. Let me just take a second and adjust this. And let me show how you know you can have the choice. <laughs> So I was using earlier $40,000 as my proxy income. So let me just put this in here. $40,000 is my income. But instead of starting at age 25, let's say someone starts earning at age 18. And so they start earning at 18. And so now my number of years from instead of 25 to 65, instead of 40 years, it's going to be 47 years. Well, at 65, this person is now earning $160,000 instead of the $130,000 that the person starting at 25 was doing. So, you know, this would be, if we were doing a rational college calculation, if, if we were doing a college calculation and we discovered that our starting wage out of college was going to be $40,000, but we could get a starting wage prior to college of $40,000, then we would need to factor in the seven years of lost productivity. And I know that's a little aggressive. Uh, it should be four or five years. But um, my point is that the extra seven years of compounding resulted in an extra $30,000 of wages at sixty-five. So, you know, but you have the choice. So, what if you compound instead of at three percent, you took it started at four percent, and you started at eighteen, and you said, okay, I'm going to compound at six uh, percent. Well, now at sixty five, we've got six hundred eighteen thousand dollars a year. Let's say you put this in at eight percent. Now at sixty five, we've got one and a half million dollars a year. So there's amazing differences that can be had. Now, I don't know what, which of those things is going to work for you. If you're 18, pay attention to those numbers. If you're 48, <laughs> that's not a lot of help to you. Um, but make your financial statements, and you'll still be able to figure out what will actually work for you. So I think that's most of what I want to share on this topic. And ah, I do have one, one more idea, and then I'll give, leave you with a challenge. Remember that we're only really here talking about the financial statements and there are a lot of other non-financial statements. Uh, There's a lot of other aspects of life that is non-financial. You know, a good question should be as far as if we have a surplus, how should we how should we reinvest re, How should we reinvest the surplus? You know, we have should we save it in the bank or should we move our family across town to a better neighborhood or across the world? Now that's going to convert it into an outflow, so it's not a surplus any longer. But maybe you know should we use it to use the the surplus to adopt a child and invest into the life of that child uh or should we use it to buy a van we can use for our side business or or you know whatever the the options are but remember that it's not going to be ultimately <clears throat> the, the the money things that any of us are really going to look back on and count most dear There may be a few of us that look back fondly and maybe view a certificate of stock that was our first stock we ever bought, or that we keep some memento of our past financial goings-on, whether that was uh, the mortgage cancellation notice of our debt. But most of us are going to have a wall full of family pictures, and we're going to have those non-financial things that matter, and that's what we're going to be focusing on. The great things in life are really not that expensive. Uh, I've been blessed. I'm sometimes shocked. My wife and I just talk about what a an amazing life we live. And, and I'm not saying that in a, um, in, a, uh, uh, an, uh, in a... What's the word that means? Um, there's, ex, there's a word that means excessive. Uh, I'm not saying that in some kind of... Anyway, I'm not saying that to, to... It's true. But we live an amazing life. and It's really not that expensive. You know, there's a beautiful sunset wherever you are. And the beautiful sunset is really no more beautiful from the thirty million dollar mansion as from the public beach next door. So just consider consider those those things. Is that the great things in life are really not that expensive. They're really not. And consider how can you optimize not just the the size, but also the not just the amounts, but also the um the categories and the characteristics of all the inflows and outflows and my challenge for you is this and I just remembered I want to play a piece of audio for you before I go. Uh, in fact I'm just going to end with that audio and I'm not going to play the uh, the closing music. So stay tuned it's about a three minute audio from Jim Rohn who was just an amazing had an amazing ability to put things into to make turn words into poetry and turn them into poetry that affected people's actions. He's certainly been a huge help to me over the years. And I want to honor his legacy and just play a moment, three, a three-minute audio clip. But I'll give you a challenge. If you haven't done these financial statements, I know that this is not generally the type of stuff that's done in financial podcasts. But I really believe that this is a really useful tool. And if you haven't done this, just create these for yourself. Create a simple balance sheet and create a simple cash flow statement. But here's the key. Don't just create it and then just you know tuck it away in a drawer. Look at it and ask yourself, if it's reflecting your values and if it's reflecting what what you're doing. And give it some time with kind of a, I don't know, maybe a journaling exercise to sit down and say, you know, what can I do? How can I optimize my inflows? And Are they optimized? What could I do to increase them substantially? Uh, or pick a category. If it's outflows, you can go through every category of your budget here. And sometimes you may wind yourself, you may wind up, <coughs> excuse me, it may wind up in a perspective where you are doing a fancy financial planning tool. You're doing a fancy tax plan or, or something like that. The stuff that I'll talk about more, you know, more on this show. Or it might be that you're just saying, why am I paying money for this car that I just don't care about? Uh, why am I paying money for this thing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something different. I'm going to sell it and move to another neighborhood. And I just challenge you. You can coach yourself through this stuff once you have the statement in front of you. And look in your situation, we want to talk about lots more ideas, but how can you apply leverage and compounding in all of the right ways without all of the negative ways? So get rid of the compounding credit card debt that's compounding against you and start compounding your income at a higher rate than any than than it's ever been compounded at. And try to apply some sort of synthetic leverage to your some of your some categories of your expenses. Uh you know, people do this with, just another example of what I mean, is like with travel hacking, where people say, well, I'm going to go ahead and 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 use, I've got to buy money, but I'll use airline credit cards, and I'll, tra- I'll buy all these, you know, free mile programs, and now I'm going to leverage my skill with this to get more money for the dollar than I would otherwise have, have, have gotten. So I hope that you'll you'll do that. I hope that you'll do that. Uh, oh, and the last thing, I almost forgot. I wanted to mention about the, the shows on thursday and friday i hope you enjoyed that i tried to bring a little bit of um uh, i enjoyed the alan watts uh audio and then also uh, the top the talk from cal newport and just want to point out one thing about the cal newport i think it's a valuable balance but notice that there's nothing in the that the, there's nothing in those two talks that is contradictory of one another is that you really do have to build skill uh you know cal was right But you know what? If you want to just say, I want to do what I'm passionate about and ignore the skill, if you're willing to forego the potential financial loss, there's no reason why you can't make that choice. And what annoys me about a a lot of things, and I'm sure Cal would, I've never spoken to him, I'm sure he would admit it, is that we generally only hear of the rich people. But you know what? There are a lot of people who don't have a lot of money. They're not Steve Jobs, so they're not speaking at college graduation commencement ceremonies but they are living the lifestyle of their dreams and they're doing it uh through the application of skill so as cal said if you have 10 interests pick one and get really good at it and build skill at it uh, but you know what if you do know what you're passionate about figure out a plan to get there that's what the show is about is 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 having a customized plan that's really going to help you uh, to get there so that's the show. Stay tuned for the Jim Rohn audio. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Thank you for those of you who've been leaving uh, reviews for the show on iTunes. Uh, I'm sorry that I've been sick. I'm doing the best I can today, but if this show fell flat, give me a little bit of mercy, uh, but I'll do my best to, to keep on coming back this week with, with world-class financial planning content. And I just challenge you. Do something with this show. Create those two financial statements for yourself and start watching them and start coaching yourself through every one of your decisions. Enjoy the rest of your Monday.
0: First question is one of the major questions of the world. Why? Why should you try? Why read that many books? Why go that far? Why earn that much? Why share that much? Why learn all that? Why get up that early? Why put yourself through that much? Why try for all that? Good question. Why? One of the best answers to why is the second question. Why not? What else are you going to do with your life? Why not see how many books you can read, how far you can go, how much you can earn, how many friends you can make, how much personality you can develop, influence you can have, how many things you can accomplish, how far you can go and what you can see? Why not? You've got to stay here till you go. Why not? The third question is, why not you? Why not you? Some people have done the most incredible things with limited start. Why not you? Some people have done so well. They get to go. They get to see it all. They get to do it. They get to be there. They get to have it. They get to enjoy it. Why not you? Why not you watching the morning mist rise over the mountains of Scotland? Exploring the mysteries of Spain, soaking up history in London. Why not you? You got to take a stroll through the palace of Versailles. Why not you? you got to have lunch in one of those neat little sidewalk cafes in Paris. I mean, Denny's is okay. You've got to try Paris. Someday you've got to gaze directly at the Mona Lisa. I can show you where to find the most exquisite seashells in Miami. And the Bahamas. I know where they are. Why not you? You got to shop on Fifth Avenue in New York. You got to stay at the Waldorf Astoria. Have dinner at Lou Chow's. Sliced roast goose on a bed of apple stew. Why not you? You got to drink in an Arizona sunset. You got to see the world. You got to read the books. You've got to do the enterprises. You've got to be involved in commerce and love and travel and experiences you've got to do it all why not you? you've got to know the results that come from splendid discipline there's nothing like a view from the top and the last question is why not now? don't postpone your better future any longer get at it tomorrow with new vigor Start to make changes, have conversations, make contact, and do it now. And if you will, I have a feeling one of these days we'll be hearing your story.